You may be seated. Good morning. Oof, that song gets me every time. How can you not singing that? Holy mackerel. So turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. <coughs> we uh, are halfway through the Lenten season, and it's probably not something that we necessarily embrace here as a denomination, um, like a lot of denominations sometimes do, where they will fast and different things throughout Lenten season. But the Lenten season is that 40 days before Easter, but not chronologically, okay? It's the 40 days that Jesus was in the desert after he was baptized, okay? And so right now we're at like, there's 19 days until Easter. So if you can imagine, he was 21 days into a fast. And it says without food. Okay. And is this kind of hot? It sounds like it's echoing. And do I need to move it at all, Mike? Probably needs to go up a little bit higher. Nobody can pick me up really well. And so we got about 19 days left. That reminds me of a joke, but I'm not going to tell it. So there's about 19 days left of his fast, right? And so today I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, what's interesting to me, too, is it's, it's one thing to think about going that long without food. But he was in the desert. He was without support of his friends his disciples. And the presence of the Lord, but also willingly putting himself at the mercy of Satan's temptations. Willingly walking into that time. Coming off of a high of a baptism. What in the world? But we see that quite often throughout Scripture where around the heels of something that has been promised, all of a sudden here comes Satan, hopping down the bunny trail, offering something to screw up our excitement. Like, yes, the Lord gave me a sign. And Satan's like, no, guess what? I got different plans. Galatians chapter 5, if you have that open. I don't. Where am I out here? I'm reading out of the New King James Version today, too, if that matters at all. So if it's a little bit different than yours, you can just listen along if you want. There's, I'm just going to cherry-pick a few verses out of this. This just came to me on the way up here. Actually, I had to go back. and I forgot my Bible and my notes at home, so I had to go home and grab it, so then I, here I am. But on the way back, I was just thinking about Galatians chapter 5. The very first verse, it says, Stand fast, therefore, 
and the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled with a yoke of bondage. And then going on down further, Verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Go through love, serve one another. And then, of course, down to very popular words in 22. By the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. I was just thinking about that last verse there, or the last part of that fruit of self-control. Thinking about what this means in this context. And then thinking about what Jesus went through when he was led into the desert. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 4, and thinking about keeping this context of the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus had just been baptized, right? And what happened during that? The Trinity showed up in full, right? Here's Jesus as a man being baptized, but then the Holy Spirit descends upon him and the Father says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, right? Wow, that moment when we are, you know, we had a baptism here a while back. Just that commitment and that time and that all of a sudden, you just like, yes, Lord, I am fully committed to you. And Jesus did this as an example for us. Obviously, he was not remitting any sin, but he wanted to show us that this is what we need to do. When we have come to this place of this understanding and knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, we need to separate ourselves from the world. That's, again, being born again into the water, into the grave, and back out. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And then, what's interesting, in Luke chapter 4, let me get there. Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 1, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Just stopping there. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, just think about that. When you, This starts off really good. When we say ourselves, I feel like I'm being led by the Spirit. Isn't that a good thing? I'm being led by the Spirit here, guys, so listen to me, right? So, I mean, this is something usually that leads into something that we foresee as being good. But here it's saying he was led into this, led into the, by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. That's kind of a duh statement, right? I mean, if, us, if we skip a lunch, 
we're like hangry, right? We're like, you know, next thing you know, everybody around me is paying for it. You imagine 40 days without food. Who here has experienced a fast of any sort? Have you gone a day without food maybe? Yeah? Anybody gone a week without food? Okay. Anybody gone 20 days without food? Oh, less hands. 40 days. Has anybody gone 40 days? And it's interesting. By the world's standards, they act like, you know, you can't go three days without food. You can't without water. But food? That's a little different. Right? So it's interesting. I've fasted before, and I've done an extended fast. And what's interesting, you know, in the first few days, it is so habitual. You know, breakfast, noon, dinner, let alone being hungry. But even now, I won't even be hungry, and it's noon. And I'm like, it's noon, I better eat. Ding, 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 right? And I just feed myself, feed myself. And I'm not even hungry. When you fast, all of a sudden, you got that, what we've been trained in ever since we've been little, to follow these, you know, morning, noon, dinner, right? But all of a sudden now, we're just, we put our body into just complete turmoil. And this desire to have food, right, settles in. And all of a sudden, just especially when, you know, we're tempted with uh, um, special occasions, family, friends, weddings, whatever might come along. And all of a sudden, there's food presented at that opportunity. And we feel like it's almost like we're obligated, right? I remember one time when we were fasting, we, we had family in town and we went out to eat. <sighs> That was weird because all of a sudden it's like we had to deny and say, you know, and you know, you're know, you not supposed to just tell the world, you know, I'm, I'm fasting. You don't want to be proud about it, right? But it's obvious. It's like, well, why are you not guys not eating? Well, we're, we're fasting, right? But it was so hard. It felt like there was this temptation to give in to that. For one, I was hungry, but also, too, because of the way it appeared to people. There was temptation in that, which is odd, Right? So obviously, Jesus was hungry. When does Satan come? When you're weak, right? And the devil said to him, if you are, what's wrong with that? What's the first part? If, if, that's Satan. He's always full of doubt, isn't he? He's good for that. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So obviously, that's a, that's a given. Here, it's within his control. Right? It's within his control. And Satan's tempting him, well, if you are, so he's questioning, you're like, well, you have the authority to do this, right? Just, you know, and why wouldn't God do this for you? Why would God want you to suffer? You of all people, Jesus, the Son of God, and you have the power to do this. You have the capability to make this rock into a piece of bread. Just do it. And what does he say? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word of God. Jesus is referred to as the bread of God. 
He is our sustenance. Do you remember when he was at the well witnessing to um, the woman that had many past husbands and the woman at the well and all that? And remember, they had walked like 26 miles that day, and the guys went into town to get food, and he was there by himself, and they were getting water out, and he had this opportunity to witness to her, right? And the guys come back with food, and he goes, I'm not hungry. I have food that you guys have no idea what I have. I, don't, I have sustenance from the Father that you guys have no idea of. I'm no longer hungry physically because of what I have been fed by God. God is our sustenance, right? Food is something that is provided to us to sustain us through this life. It is not our master. But by every word of God, that's my desire is to have that sustenance in life. Something that gives me that strength in life. Then the devil went on, taking him up on a high mountain. And it's interesting because from what I've seen, I've never been there, but there's no mountains around there. In fact, it's very, very, very flat. There's no mountains per se, right? The highest point around there is 1,200 feet. I mean, we're at a higher elevation than that here. So 1,200 feet is not a high mountain, but it's interesting the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So in my mind, I'm thinking, is this literal? Because obviously he's up there. I mean, he can see from here to the south side of Minot. This isn't all the kingdoms in the world in one moment. So he's brought him up somewhere and temptation to say, look at all this that you could have. There's some place that he brought him in his mind, I believe. And it says, and the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me. Because Satan is has dominion over the earth, right? But he's saying, I will hand it over to you. I will give it to you and give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me before me, all this will be yours. Isn't that weird to think? To really wrap your brain around that? Because, you know, we sing all the time, you know, about this is our God's, our Father's world. This is... You know, but to think about this, that Satan's holding this temptation of what God created to say, I will give this back to you if you just bow down to me one time. Questioning, taking into question what? His divinity, but also to kind of hoping that his hunger inside of him is causing and tempting him to what? Say, yeah. You know, it's like, when you, you give up your bowl of soup for your lineage, you know, it's like, I mean, we hear of all these stories in the past where there's this, you know, temptation to do what? To usurp, to give up our authority, to give up what God has given to us. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? She started out the same temptation with if, right? This temptation to give it all up 
Because of what? Because of my suffering. I can satisfy this right now if I just do this. So he's leaning on this side of Jesus that is human. Pressing into him that's human. The humanity of it. Which it says that we have, he, we, he has gone through all the temptations that we have. There's nothing that we have experienced that Jesus wasn't tempted with. Think about that. So, verse 8, and it says, And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. So it's interesting. Do you guys remember that part? Get behind me, Satan. Why does that sound familiar? Where else did he say that? Peter. Isn't that interesting? Just to think about that. He was talking to a human, a Peter, you know, that was his devoted follower, right? And what was Jesus going through at that time? He was, it was the Last Supper, and, or it was coming up to the time when he was going, he knew where he was going. And when Peter got revelation of what was going on with Jesus, it's like somebody telling you, I am going to die next week, and I'm going to willfully walk into that time. And you love that person. What do you say? No. What are you thinking? Why would you do that? Peter does that to Jesus. He comes to Jesus. He's like, no. And instead of talking him through that and trying to make Peter feel better about this situation, he just calls it out for what it is. Get behind me, Satan, because you're trying to disrail me. You're trying to keep me from doing God's will. And our battles are not with flesh and blood. It's not with each other. Right? It's the principalities. It's what Satan's devising in our mind. Instead of Peter seeing what really needed to be done, that this was a good thing, that Jesus needed to die for me. Instead of recognizing that, he only thought of himself. I don't want you to go. I love you. You're my favorite, Jesus. I want to hold you every day. I want you to be here all the time. I want you to be the king. I don't want you to go anywhere. The temptation of having what we want. And Satan's tempting Jesus with this. And he says, get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. Him only shall you serve. Why is he saying that? Because I shall not worship who? Myself. It's not about me. It's not about me getting through this pain, getting through this time. And I shall not worship me. I do not come first. I, you know, it seems like that because when I pray that way, that's the way my prayers usually sound. But my desire is for what? To serve God. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Then, this is very interesting to me, and there's got to be something to this, and I don't know what there is to this, but the next part, the third temptation, verse 9, then he brought him to Jerusalem. So he's no longer in the desert, and he still hasn't partaken. So it's interesting, he's back into Jerusalem. 
And then, not just Jerusalem, but he says, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. He's in the temple in Jerusalem. The temple where the rabbis, and, you know, and it's prophesied in Isaiah 9 that this is where it's going to be, that he was going to be put on to the highest place and, and brought into uh, his first, like, his coming out. Like, here it is. This is Jesus. You know, and everybody would know who he is. It was prophesied. So it looked right, felt right, all that, right? And he brings him into Jerusalem upon his own temple. And it says to the pinnacle, you know, and some even say the parapet, which is the highest point on the building and on the parapet. So the parapet, you know, like if you guys probably don't even recognize it when you look at a building, but a parapet, there's a roof, and then the parapet is the three-foot sides that go up like this that give this illusion that it's bigger than it is. So a parapet is just a, a wall on, that runs the parameter of a building or maybe just the front of it, right? And so the parapet would be on top of that. So it's like me, if I, want, if I could, I'd stand on top of this railing. I'd get to the highest point on this. And it brought him to the top of that. And it says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down. Satan didn't push him. He brought him up to this place of standing up here. And imagine, he's just gone 40 days without food, without people, and just being left open to Satan's temptations and ridicule and who knows what he's been listening to and hearing all this time. And he's standing upon this. And he says, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give you his angels charge over you to keep you, comma, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Do you know what context means? Context is means when you read something in full, right? So we know we live in this day and age where they'll take a snippet of something and make it sound like you're you know, the worst person in the world. But then if somebody were to come back and listen to the whole context of it and hear it, they find out, oh, that was taken out of context. This first part of this, where this quote, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, is taken out of context because he knows that there's a comma there. It's not the full verse. And it was supposed to go on and continue to say, in all his ways. He'll keep you in all his ways. It's making it, though, it's stopping it short and saying, this is the only way. Satan's tempting him. If you do this, right, first of all, it'll, I mean, and I'm just going off of my fleshly humanity, but the temptation to end it all, right? I don't know. But people have been tempted and have partaken in suicide. It says that Jesus was tempted in all ways. So therefore, that is one of them. But he's up there, and he's tempted in so many different ways. So therefore, it's like, well, here, I've, I know that the prophecy says that this is the coming out. Jesus got baptized, and next thing you know, he's been gone for four days, but now he's back. He's standing at the pinnacle, 
and here I am, I'm Jesus, but now watch this. I'm going to jump off of here. And Satan's saying, well, you know, you won't die because the angels will catch your feet. Right? Something supernatural is going to happen. So there's this going on. You know, if I jump, yes, God will catch me. But if I don't, if he doesn't, what happens? So he goes on to say, and Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. In what way? How is he tempting him? To take control of not his will, not God's will. Right? That's the way I kind of see that. I mean, tempting him also in the way that this is not the answer, but also too, guess what? If Jesus had jumped, and the chances are very, very good, he would have died a physical human death if jumping from that kind of height, right? And what would that have succumbed? What was supposed to happen? How was he supposed to die? And how was it prophesied? And Satan would love for that to happen instead, right? So he wanted, he was tempting him to like just give up this, you know, this idea of being crucified because how horrible would that be? You thought these 40 days were horrible? You just wait. You just wait. Wait until that day when I lay you across that board and you feel that spike in your wrist and you feel that spike in your foot. You think these 40 days were bad? You just wait. But Satan loves to come at the opportune times, right? And Scripture says that. And he says it here. But Jesus said, get behind me. Not in front of me, get behind me. Right? Why is that? Why is it behind you? Because we are the head, not the tail. And when it's in front of you, your eyes can see, your eyes can perceive, you can be deceived and tempted when it's in front of you. When it's behind you, my life is behind me. Drinking is behind me. I'm no longer tempted because I don't set myself in front of a bar anymore. I don't draw a line of whiskey in front of myself anymore and tempt myself before me. I put it behind me, and I do not test him. I'm not, well, God, I know you'll take care of me. Line me up with six shots of whiskey. Even though I haven't drank in 30 years, I'll be good. No. No. Going back to Galatians. What was the last part of that fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. Self-control, right? Remember that. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. You call yourself a Christian. That is one of our fruits also. It isn't just a fruit of Jesus. It wasn't just for him to have self-control. It's for you. It's for me. And to recognize those times when I'm in a place that I need to call it for what it is. And remember, we read in Galatians in Galatians 13 or whatever, it says, for freedom, you've been set free. 
So as Christians, we'll make up an excuse. Well, I'm free to do this. I don't feel convicted about it. So I can drink whiskey and I can do whatever I want. I can watch porn as long as my wife is okay with it. I can do whatever I want. No. Galatians. Part of that is self-control. But now I want to challenge you with this thinking. Luke, where are we at here? Luke 22. This is what came to me on the way back up the hill here. Luke 22. If you want to turn there, you can. Verse 39. Luke chapter 22 is a long chapter. So we're in, at the end of, you know, our Easter season is when Easter, you know, then Jesus gets crucified. But chronologically, that's not how it happened. But just during how it's set up now for us here in the Western Hemisphere. Um, so now we're at this place where Jesus is at the garden. Okay? He's gone through the Last Supper. He's told all these guys what he's going to do. Right? So they all know what he's going to do. And they're all like, what? This is not how we saw it happening. We thought you were going to rise up and be our mighty king and help us take over Israel. And we're going to throw out those dirty Romans. Right? This was not the king that I was expecting. But now, they're heading to the garden. And in verse 39, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives. And he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into, what? Temptation. I've read that before, but I've just never really thought about that. What were they being tempted with? What were they being tempted with? And and then, it's interesting, verse 41, it says, And he was withdrawn from them. He was withdrawn with them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Have you ever been in a place where you knew you had to do something, but you didn't want to? Have a hard conversation with somebody? Do something you just really didn't want to do? What does that also take? Self-control, right? Self-control, to do the things that we know that we need to do. It is so important that we understand that self-control isn't just stopping me from doing something, but it's also this command to do something that I don't want to do. And Jesus was whole, all man, all man, okay? But he was fully God, too, but he was fully man. And he had seen and known what happens when somebody is crucified. You imagine physically seeing something as horrendous as that? 
And it's interesting. I've been talking through, we go through the Bible with our girls, and one part that stood out to them and like that shows this the cross and it shows Jesus on there and they're asking lots of questions about it. And they and they pointed out too, did he have clothes on, Daddy? Like, no. And they're like, oh. Even just that, the simplicity of he was just completely exposed and let alone the, the pain and the torture and the torment that he willingly stepped into. But he said, Father, if there's a way to let this pass, let it be so. But not my will. Your will be done. I used to read to my girls when they were little out of the book, Jesus Freaks, and it has all these different stories of martyrs. One, two-page stories, just real quick, real short, but detailed and hard to read sometimes, but they made an impact on them because it brings up this question of like when they're in a situation where all they need to do is what? Deny Christ. Just bow down like Satan said, just bow down to me. And they would say to these martyrs, just deny Christ and we'll let you live. And there was horrible stories in there. I remember my mom was like, why would you read these to your kids? I remember one, the horrible one, that I mean, about a steamroller. You remember that one? I mean, horrible, slow, agonizing, and making his family watch as he's ran over with a steamroller. All you need to do is deny Christ. And his kids called out to him, Daddy, don't you do it. Don't you deny Christ. Die for Christ. Die. Father, if it's your will, let it pass, but let your will be done. Philippians 2, if you can turn there. So that there's a verse, that, or the part of the words too, as you're turning there, I'm just going to keep talking. Remember when I emphasized too, when Jesus was at the pinnacle and Satan said, throw yourself down? It's interesting, a verse came to mind when I read that. That's in Luke 9, 23. It says, then he said to all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So Satan was tempting him with himself. Isn't that weird? But like, deny yourself, right? And what? Fasting, uh, doing things that we don't want to do, but yet we're free to change that. Right? And we saw them, we've seen the mistakes of that throughout the Old Testament when people thought, well, I'm just going to help God, so I'm going to have my husband sleep with my concubine. I'm going to take control of these situations. Right? So he was tempted with this. He was tempted with this. But in Philippians 
chapter 2, verse 8. New King James Version reads, And being found in their appearance as a man, it's talking about Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That in itself is contextually awesome. You don't even need to read the whole chapter to get that. But it's interesting, out of the Message Bible, that one, you know, what is there, maybe 20 words there? I want to read you this description from the Message. Okay? So if you can just listen in, don't read along in your Bible because it's nothing like what New King James is. Philippians 2.8. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges and the deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Think of yourself less, like Jesus. So as we're going through the rest of this time leading up to Easter, and even though I, don't, I haven't heard anyway that we practice this Lenten season with us, we don't necessarily... Uh, fast during this time. This isn't something that's impressed upon us here at Calvary Alliance. But it doesn't mean that's something that you can't do for yourself and enter into that time and this season of seeking the Lord. And it's not a, a spiritual diet and hoping that I'm going to lose 10 pounds, right? It's seeking the Lord. It's denying myself and really seeking the Lord and all that he is and seeking how obedient can I am how am how obedient am I to you Lord not your will but my not your will but my will but your will be done right so I'm just going to close with this verse out of Ephesians 2, and I know I've brought lots of scripture into this, so hopefully we can stay on track with what, how this is being read and how this coincides with what we read here today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Um, and the part I want to emphasize here, too, is that when Jesus was going to the cross, you know, he had uh, bled, this is, had sweat, drops of blood, you know, the stress that he was going through leading up to that. But do not be, don't, don't be misled on that. He wasn't um, fearful of death, okay? 
but it was the torture therein of what led up to the death. But also, too, this is what I think is hard for us as humans, as you know, even Christians or whatever you want to say, to understand is that Jesus was not going to die. It was physically impossible for him to die because he had no sin in him. He was going to that cross, and he was going to suffer forever. That's why they said, you know, they struck him 39 times and 40 would kill a man. I mean, he should have died previous to even getting to the cross, let alone hanging on the cross through that. But it was going to be eternal torment in his flesh. Until, as it speaks of in Isaiah also and prophesied, it says that it, it pleased God, right, to bruise him. He had the opportunity now where God looked upon him and he was suffering and suffering horrendously. And if we as humans see anything like that going on, if we were out and you guys are hunters or whatever it might be, if we see something that's suffering, and we have this ability to put it out of its misery, we do, right? So God and his ability was faithful. And he turned his back on Jesus. And for the first time, because it says scripturally too that God cannot even look upon sin. And for the first time, Jesus experienced that separation. And he was, it says he became sin. Sin was put upon him. And when sin was allowed to come upon him, so was death. And at that point in time, Jesus said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Because it was justice. It was for you. It was for me. Christ died on that cross. A horrible, painful death. But only to what? Overcome death. Rise again. And he's alive. Today, seated at the right hand of the Father. Seated at the right hand of the Father because it means it is finished. That's why he's sitting. There's no more to be done. For you, there's nothing to be done. It is finished. And he conquered death. So unlike us, we came into this world, we were created to last forever, but then we sinned, and then sin has just taken torment on this earth ever since. Death has just surmised. Everyone's died, everyone's died. And the only way we can ever have eternal life is just the opposite of what Jesus did. He came into this life sinless, living forever, and then took death upon himself, but then conquered it and put it into the grave. Thus, we are baptized, risen again, and guess what? My life can never be taken from me, ever. Matthew 10, 28, it says, Why fear man that the worst he could do to you is take your body? but rather fear him who can take your body and soul and cast it into eternal torment. Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, 
To die is gain. That's a verse that I teach my girls. I say it every day. To live is Christ. To die is gain. I lose nothing. I am not losing my life. Any Christian I know has never lost their life. They've gained life. Right? Ephesians 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you were once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all have once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God... But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ. We sit with him. We sit with him. It is finished. There's nothing to fear in this world. Nothing. So when we go forward from here, one of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control. Putting ourselves through situations that are hard, but this we need to remember. When we know that there's a promise that's been given to us, expect Satan. Expect him. Because then you will be able to recognize it and you just smile. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm on the right path. I recognize this. I know this situation. I know I'm in the right now. Satan's trying to make things difficult for me. And I'm not going to succumb to it. Right? Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word this morning. As we close here this morning, may we go forth with this confidence that for freedom we have been set free, but knowing ultimately self-control is a fruit of the Spirit with which it keeps me from doing the things I know I shouldn't do, but also, too, to do the things I should. Father, and that is sharing Christ with somebody, to know you and to make you known. Father, we have a role and a responsibility, a work that's been given to each one of us as Christians, we have something and we have nothing to fear. What's the worst that anyone can do to us? Because if we do die, it is gain. Thank you, Father, for taking something that in this world is so emphasized as being just so fearful, but yet we look upon that as gain. And we are thankful for that. And Father, I do, as we go forth from here, Lord, give us the words to speak life into somebody today. Somebody that has been fearful of COVID or fearful of the end of their life. We have inside of us life and truth that you have given to us to share with others. That they too may know you and share in what we just read here today. Father, I thank you for your mercy as we read here this morning. Your grace. And while I was still a sinner, you died for me. 
Help me to get that word across to others. And Father, as we grow in our walk with you, Father, I pray that we continue to know you more and more and more. Father, bless us this day as we go forward in being able to share the gospel. What a blessing that is. And remind me for what I have been set free. Not for my will, but your will. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.